Every day at America's Card Room, players just like you are scoring big in record time with Jackpot Poker. Jackpot Poker is a super fast three-player online poker set and go. You pick the buy-in, and after all three players are seated, we randomly pick the jackpot. Yep, just three players. No more, no less. And for most jackpot poker tournaments, it's winner take all. Imagine turning a $40 buy-in into the ultimate $100,000 game of poker. Anything could happen with jackpot poker. Play it now at America's Card Room. Okay, welcome to Ask Alex, episode 116 on the OneOuter.com podcast, sponsored by AmericasCardroom.com. If you want 27% rate back from AmericasCardroom.com, Simply sign up for your account by clicking on one of the adverts or banners on the OneOuter.com website. Follow us on Twitter at OneOuter.com and join the Facebook group, facebook.com slash group slash OneOuter. This episode and all other previous episodes are on OneOuter.com website and via iTunes for free. If you want to send questions in for Alex on a future show, then the best way is to email questions at OneOuter.com or you can tweet them or post them in the Facebook group. Alex... I can cough now. <laughs> uh, I, you'll know with being in uh, Europe now, the weather and stuff, what us Scotsmen put up with, uh, even in summer and through the years, and I'm down with a little bit of a sort of chest infection cough, so I will be muting now and again and uh, drinking some fluids and uh, sucking some throat sweets. So, no, don't uh, worry, I'll do all the talking today. Oh, right, that's great, that's great. It's no different than what we normally do. So, you are in Prague, as everyone knows, everyone's been following your Twitter and Facebook pages and stuff. I saw a video you did with Poker News, Poker News, I think it was, yesterday, I think you posted a link to it, and I saw that, that was good. And um, So, yeah, what's been happening, update people on your trip, tournaments, funny stories just give us all an update sure man uh well let me try to think of the best stories uh i just busted ept uh, the ept main day two uh, i was actually really satisfied with the tournament even though no- nothing really went well for me uh i had fifteen thousand ships on day two i just i i got it in in a fairly like essentially a guy 2x my big blind and I knew with a very short stack I could call and play any pair. I've done, I've done that on card runner ZV a thousand times. Uh, I happened to hit second pair. He hit pop pair, just not a whole lot I could do. Uh, the first day of the first day I had one of the toughest tables in the room. I just, I had these two Bulgarian pros that were just very, very natural at a poker table. Obviously I've been doing it for a really long time. Uh, there was, <clears throat> everybody was really technically proficient. There was this Swedish kid who was like 22, and like I, I wasn't even in this kid's zip code when I was 27. So it was kind of, and he was like the only dude not that experienced. Everybody else, I felt like, just like me, you know, like five, ten years of experience. There were a few soft spots, but they busted pretty quick, and those mm-hmm. chips went to some of the like toughest players. So essentially getting through that day and it was something like two players out of 15 that sat at that table or something ridiculous made it through to day two and like even one of the chip leaders just busted himself and uh and nobody really i i i tried <clears throat> i tried uh a number of bluffs in uh the wpt ept eureka i think mm-hmm. like i i think like 80 percent of them worked which is higher than normal 
uh, usually about 70% of them worked. And, you know, you just try to have some shifts if you're pushing on the ones that you're not positive about them working or you're not as sure. I got up into like 80% territory because I think I made some advances. So that was pretty, that was pretty exciting. You kind of have to get into the laboratory to do that again. But yeah, like the one time I got picked off, like this Bulgarian kid, essentially I knew he wouldn't believe me if I check raised a wet board because I saw him like going after those boards and he kind of knew that. And I thought I could put him in this situation where there's no real possibility for me bluffing. So he, you know, it, it, so if there's no possibility for me to be bluffing, it's a good spot to bluff or like, it's just one of those weird spots. Nobody would bluff. Right. And that's Mm -hmm. generally what I do with a lot of like high stakes pros because when they're confused, a lot of times, like, you're doing something that looks really stupid. Uh, like, you know, like donk leading is one of these plays. Anyways, I tried to do this play to this Bulgarian kid. It's worked a hundred times in the past. He just smooth calls me. I was so confused because I, I would have bet dollars to donuts when he see that. He just didn't have it. And then on the turn, I, like, I never time bank it that often right and like i just sat there confused as hell for two minutes because i couldn't figure out what was nothing that would call on that board and i did it to a stack size where you'd have to have balls of steel to run the game he was running anyways i checked he moved all in and i had a tie and i was thinking of calling him and i never do that crap like ever right i think 99 times out of 100 when a guy calls an all-in with ace high one, usually you should be ashamed of yourself because it means a play earlier on in the hand didn't work out and you just saved your ass by the scruff of your scrotum. You know what I mean? You just barely pulled it out. And uh, other times I think it's just one of those guys just want to tell everybody I called him with a high card. I'm so sick, you know, like and generally it's not a good idea. And I thought about it for a really long time because I really thought it was bluffing, but I was like, Come on, dude. He bet calls the flop with less than ace high and then shoves on the river. And then and then he was talking to, like, uh, he was talking to somebody on the side. Like, he, if his pulse was above 50, I, I would, I don't know, I would have bet good money his pulse was not up. And most guys cannot look that calm during a bluff. And then I was just like, all right, here you go, you take it. And then, yeah, he showed me an open-ended straight draw he made on the turn. He called the flop with 9-7 high, which was pretty like i'm not trying to criticize him it was just a sick play it was just mm. once in a while you just get outplayed you know i i'm sure you know it, it, it's it's just one of those things uh you're gonna get outplayed if you're gonna play something like the european poker door at some point i i don't know yeah. when it's gonna happen and i was really uh blessed in that part because it was just like a 10k it was a 10k uh pot so i only really lost like five thousand. And that was, mm. like, my only real mistake of the day. The only time what I was anticipating in the hand did not happen. The one time I got lost. So as far as a performance with some of the best, like, live players I've played with in a long time, I felt very good about it. Uh, obviously, it didn't go the way I wanted it to. Uh, it, I'm trying to think of a funny story. The funniest thing that happened to me yesterday was, there was a Swedish kid across from me. He was a 22-year-old kid. He was really nice. He looked like he was about 12. And uh, 
essentially, I raced his blind. He called. Uh, he checked. I bet he folded. And I don't know if you guys – tell me if you guys do this in Europe. But, like, in the States, you do this trick. When you pick up your hand to muck, you peel the corner just a bit. And that's so your buddy can see your hand and nobody else can, right, when it's a show-one, show-all casino. Mm. And then you get you just throw it into the muck. Like, do you guys do that? I don't do it, but I've seen people. Yeah, do it. exactly. Well, anyway, it's like it's kind of like a wink, wink, nudge, nudge thing in the states. And I was just like, all right, I'll show the kid I had it. You know what I mean? It's his first EBT. I don't, you know, I'm short stacked anyway. It's not like I'm going to be trying to manhandle him yeah. every plot. And then he was like, oh, I saw a jock. And I was like, he said it loud <laughs> enough for the entire table to hear. And, like, the whole table, I mean, these are all, like, grizzled live veterans. They knew exactly what happened the second he yelled it out. And I just started cracking up because they looked – because I I had to explain to the kid. I was like, you just showed people you don't play live because you didn't know what that was, right? And it was – it was pretty funny, though. It was a rare, like, kind of, like, innocent moment at a, you know, poker table full of assholes trying to take each other's money. And, yeah. uh, yeah, I, Prague has been pretty cool. You know, I've been out and, uh, you know, I mean, I, I've been chilling in the cafes here. I really like them. Uh, I found one with Costa Rican coffee just today. So that was pretty nice. And, uh, I've been seeing some movies, you know, I've seen probably five movies since we last spoke. Like, well, All right. I saw Snowden. I saw Hacksaw Ridge. I saw... I'm not making this up. There's construction going on outside of my flat. There's nothing construction the entire of 15. They follow you. Bro, yeah. they follow me. I, I, it's probably the same guy from Costa Rica. Somebody sent him. And then, uh, no, I saw, what was it? I saw Hacksaw Ridge. I saw Snowden. I saw uh, Nocturnal Creatures or whatever it was called. I saw Arrival. And I guess I just saw four movies because that, that was it. Snowden was, was surprisingly Snowden. Yeah, I was really asked. Yeah, that. Snowden was surprisingly really good. And I'm not a big Oliver Stone fan. Uh, there's a lot of aspects of the Snowden story. They're not really like they never at one point talked about how much danger he put a lot of people in based on the information he released, which mm-hmm. I would have liked to have seen an appraisal of. It was it was still a very good movie. That just always kind of bugs me about Oliver Stone movies is he picks historical things that are still kind of hurting us in the States. And he does them like, like literally like, I, I mean, like the, 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 not the, the, the twin towers were still smoldering when he made his nine 11 movie, you know, it was just, yeah. and it's really hard for us because generally we all like read a ton about these issues in the papers and we've read a bunch of different concepts. And then we just get Oliver Stone's, opinion on the matter right it doesn't uh-huh. present a very nuanced view and that really bothered me because it just made snowden look like that you know this is a great tech genius that always was out there and couldn't you know and you know he, he had a tough decision he had to bring it together at the last second it was like bro i know that's not how it is this dude probably wanted a little stardom, he did get it, and he probably had a moral conscience as well, you know what I mean? I'm sure it's a very complex picture, and I didn't really get that feeling from the movie, but that being mm-hmm. said, it's a really, really interesting movie, it's a really fun movie. Arrival was totally overrated, it was just like Sicario, it looks really nice, 
and it, it's a decent plot, so everybody just kind of goes with it for presentation's sake. I, I didn't find it all that impressive or interesting. Uh, Nocturnal Creatures was just awesome, if you haven't seen it. Jake Gyllenhaal just makes amazing movies. Like, that, mm -hmm. that was a fantastic movie. And Hacksaw Ridge was amazing, except for, what was it? <laughs> it's like one of the most violent war movies I've ever seen, but there's no cussing. So, you know, it's like you see your buddy get blown apart into, uh, you know, a cloud of missing fingers flying into your eyes. And you're like, gosh, darn it. Oh, my <laughs> God. <laughs> you be kayak, hemosabi. Kind of ruins it. Yeah, it kind of, it pissed me off because I was like, you know, you, you when you see Full Metal Jacket, like, it, it really the initial scenes are really jarring to you because that's a real drill commander drilling them, right? And it is vulgar, and they have to... You forget they have to prepare these guys to kill other people. So there's not much sympathy, you know what I mean? It's like, I'm sorry, I can't put you in a position where your inability to act could cost a better soldier their life. So you're going to have to learn this really quickly. And I, I just really didn't get that. It kind of had like a Disney movie feel to it. Which would be fine if I didn't have to watch intestines getting eaten by crows and crap like that. You know what I mean? So, it, but it was, you know, it was a good, it's a very important movie. It had a very good message. It was very well done. Uh, I just, as a Christian, I can feel when I feel like people are pandering to me. And that to me really felt like he was pandering to the American Christian block. And that, that kind of pissed me off because. You know, real life is real life, you know what I mean? Like, people cuss in war. I'm sorry, that's just how it happens, you know? Uh, it, like, if I have a Christian child, like, and I show them Hacksaw Ridge, now I'm going to have to tell them, look, uh, that's not how it works, okay? It's not quite like a Disney movie. It's not Air Bud Survival Edition, you know what I mean? It's not a Disney movie. Life is pretty hard, and it's even worse than a lot of what you just saw there. And, yeah, anyway... I'm just ranting about everything, so you know what I'm saying. It's the same as always, man. I'm kind of, I kind of got a cold too here. Oh my god, man! This weather, this weather is not a joke, Barry. No. <laughs> Anyhow, any. So oh, what, I met what... Riards, yo! I met Riards. Yeah, I saw that on Twitter. Yeah, man, that dude's really cool. His, him and his wife are about like the cutest couple ever, man. He's about ten feet tall, three hundred pounds. Our 2.68 stone or whatever denomination you all use. And, uh, <clears throat> yeah, a guy looks like he could be a football player. And he was telling me in Latvia if they were playing basketball, he'd be like the point guard, which that's the short person, Barry. Did you know that? Uh, I, I thought it would have been the, the taller guy. No, nah, no, nah, so, that's like the center. The center is the, center is the guy that kind of like – uh, posts around the key and feet. Oh, no. So it's he just standing with his arms in there. Yeah, yeah, but there's a little spot underneath the hoop that you can't be in for more than three seconds. So he's got to move in and out of it pretty quick. Anyway, yeah, one day I'll teach you about the good sports, Barry. Anyhow. Yeah, what, what a game. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what do we got? Let's save some kids today. Well, I was going to say, what's, is that you done tournament-wise now? You got anything yeah, left? I'm done. That's a good question. Um, I got 15 days left in Prague. Uh, no more tournaments. Uh, on the package, we came out We came out positive. I think everybody got their buy-in back and the markup uh, by a little bit. So that was pretty cool. 
Um, it's a, it's always it's weird when you're playing for other people because if it was just myself, like even if I had just you know, like uh, if I'd come here and I'd started off with a WPT final table and I fizzled out, I, I wouldn't be that on myself. It would just be like, well, you know, I I kind of know my game and I've worked pretty hard on it and I can live with it. But when it's the kind of the cool thing about playing for a variety of different investors is. Uh, you really have to be on your game thinking about how you can make their investment more profitable. You know, it, representing 36 mm -hmm. or whatever it is, is a lot different than representing just yourself. It's uh, I think it's the reason it's like when I hear a guy as kids, a lot of times when we're working with stables, that's like if the guy's got his own savings, usually he's going to hustle pretty hard, you know what I mean? Because he's got other reasons to stay in the game and you can kind of have that with investors. But yeah, I'm going to be here another 15 days. This is kind of my Christmas break. I think I have to do a little more work than I really want to while I'm here. But, you know, at the same time, I wouldn't be here without my job. So, and being mm -hmm. in the Czech Republic has definitely been like, it, it's been a cultural experience, you know, getting to like go out with, uh, locals and getting to you know talk with people and enjoy the cuisine and kind of eventually just learning a few phrases so you can get around getting to uh experience another culture see different concert venues all that stuff it's you know it's really one of the joys in life you know what i mean it's really getting to see different cities getting to know different cities getting to create memories uh that really uh well, it was it was crazy because like I went to the Jewish part of the city uh, the uh, the other day, just on one of my days off, and man, like it, the cradle of culture right there, man, like that was heavy. You're you're in synagogues that are like 500 years old. They're like 2.5 times the, are they like two times the age of my country, which is pretty weird, you know what I mean? And then uh. You know, you're seeing like priceless works of art and old Torahs, and then you, you know you go to the Holocaust Museum and you feel like, uh, yeah, uh, this is why we need to stop the alt right. You like mm -hmm. you, you walk in and it's like uh, it, it's like size seven print of people's names who died in the Holocaust, and you're in like a five story building, you know, and yeah. it's top to bottom names right on all the walls mm -hmm. and. We found, uh, my mom and I found, uh, what was it, my grandfather's name in there. And, you know, it's like, it, it's like wow. a German name, you know what I mean? Like, and uh, it was like, oh, yeah, they, they killed Germans, too. Like, mm. even, even, even he was, like, culturally German to the point he had the name because he was a Jew that killed him. You know what I mean? And, of course, we have no connection to this, but it, it was like, we we didn't grow up with anything like that or knowing about anyone like that. But to see your name, one of your descendants' names in it was like, oh, my God, you know what I mean? And then you, uh, like, we went into, like, this art museum, and one of these museums was, like, children's drawings in the concentration camps, and that was just, like, the heaviest thing I've ever seen in my life because – you see how these kids were like trying to conceptualize like the the uh, the communal showers, the ration program as they started taking their coupons and stuff like that. And the the paintings look like something your sister would draw when she was twelve, right before she got 
she stopped getting into it. And it's like, those are, those are experiences no book can give you. No money, amount of money can give you. You have to go to the place and you have to experience it. You know what I mean? And that mm-hmm. will expand your mind forever. And that, it's hard to put a dollar total on that. And, you know, I'm just really grateful I have a job that provides for that. That's really, it's kind of hard to put dollar totals on it. But I, I love my job as a professional poker player because I've, getting, I've been able to see so much of the world and learn so much that I couldn't get from books when I was younger. And I was just, you know, this nerd in the library. So I, I'm really grateful for that. Anyways, all right. We got questions? We good? Yeah, yeah, all we right, got questions. Man. I was just going to ask yes, one sir. last thing. Are you going to play any online when you're in class? I was actually thinking about that. I was thinking it might be fun to just... Lucky go... IP, lucky IP. Could yeah, if the IP <laughs> decides to work for more than four minutes at a time. Well, apparently, I went and got out a wireless card. It seems to be working really well whenever we talk. I thought I kind of got lucky our first conversation, but this one's clear as a bell, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I mean, maybe I'll play a session. I'll put it on Twitch. Uh, you know what I mean? Oh, shout out! Uh, wait, that that'll reveal. I was I was gonna uh, I, I was gonna say something main. Anyway, okay, let's go. Okay, All right. First question is an email from Alvin Kaufman. So let me just read it. Oh, out. Barry, in your Skype there is a question from Tomas. He sent it like 13 seconds before we. Okay. Started. Just letting you know. Sorry, that's okay. something I should have told you off air, but I stuck okay. at this. So anyway, let's 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 go for this one from Alvin Kaufman. Okay. Right? And it's uh, hey Alex and Barry, always enjoy listening to your podcast. I used my one time and got coached from Alex, and have been an avid follower on Twitter and buying his products when I can. I have a question for Alex. I have a family now and don't get time to put in a ton of hands in tournaments. I'm usually restricted to cash games and play quite a few mixed games now due to time constraints. My database on Hold'em Manager is very limited. How do I bring his content from his various webinars into my arsenal to make the most out of my time when I do play tournaments? And what one webinar does he recommend to go back over to stay sharp on? Thanks, good luck in Prague, and you're a living example of what hard work and determination can accomplish. As well, don't... Sorry. Sorry? Go ahead, go ahead. As well, don't forget to spoil Barry on Christmas for all the work he has done on the podcast. <laughs> thanks. Barry gets, yeah, Alvin, Barry thanks, gets Alvin. spoiled on the first of the month every month, so it's fine. <laughs> but thank you for that, Alvin. No, and I appreciate that, man. It was very kind of you to say. I really appreciate that. It was, uh, you know, I had to tell a few people out here, like, yeah, I got divorced, right? And, you know, everybody goes into the, like, oh, my God, are you okay? And I was kind of thinking, I was like, well, I can't imagine anybody else having an easier time because when I told people that, I got like a hundred emails of people like, hey, man, you ever need anything? I got a place to stay. And, you know, you can just holler. This is my phone number. You know what I mean? My friends like just calling me up and stuff like that. You know what I mean? It was like really nice. It was really kind. You know what I mean? It's like it was. That's the kind of stuff, like, you get that, you know what I mean? People from all over the world, like, literally offering you a place to sleep. You think about how much shelter means to some people. It, you just kind of, at some point, have to go, like, I, I'm the luckiest person on God's green earth, you know what I mean? It's people like you that make me that, so thank you, dude. And, uh, yeah, you know what? Um, 
I made Master Poker with one hour a day with you in mind, but I've had some... It, it, it's interesting because there's two different aspects to practicing really fully and competently every day. And one is to analyze better than everyone. And the second is to uh, play better than anyone. And that doesn't mean like win. That means you get more out of the hours you put in. So the way you would analyze better than anyone, I'm pretty sure Master Poker with one hour a day was just about every really useful shortcut that I use to, I mean, a lot of those shortcuts I should really keep for myself because they're really helpful as a coach to just see where a leak is. But I mean, I have a lot more that get a lot deeper, but this is kind of like, uh, I guess this would be like general medicine for your uh, database as opposed to any kind of specialization, but just knowing the generalities is really helpful. And even if you have a very small database, say your database is only 30,000 hands, which is pretty achievable, there are some statistics that are very interesting that you could use off of that webinar. One of them is WTSD, went to showdown percentage. And that could be, if you see that's like from 46 to 52, that means a full half of the time you get involved in the pot, you call down to the river. That's not good especially in tournaments where people are notoriously bad at firing the river. Uh, you know what I mean? They're, uh, they're really bad at firing, bluffing, or thinly value betting, thus making your in-between hands not easy enough to call with. Uh, what you generally uh, should see is there from a winning player is like 36 to 42 is is really kind of the sweet spot. And if you get a bunch of those, it can kind of let you know what you're screwing up on. So, and then you just have to come up with a strategy for your specific league. So if you call down too much on the river, a great thing you could put on your little sticky note uh, and uh, it, it, uh, a sticky note that says, you know, like, announce the hands you beat every time you call the river. And if you do that, uh, you can ask yourself what hands actually are viable here. And if you can't come up with a list, you probably shouldn't be calling there. And I find that tends to be the best way to focus yourself with your analysis is coming up with these filters, finding the biggest leaks, working on them as efficiently as possible, sprucing it up. And eventually that gives you a really good hole for the ship and your ship is sound and it can go into the it can go into the oceans and hopefully brave all the different currents but now you have to actually manage the damn thing when it's moving and that's where you have to figure out your play how are you going to play better than everyone else it's not the hours you put in it's what you put in the hours i actually made a little video before i left i sold it to one person but i didn't send out the emailer because i did a bunch of commercial emails for a while and I really wanted to get some, like, articles in and some uh, videos for free before I had me hawking a product again. But I, I was just going to sell it for 30 bucks, and it just shows you how I play heads up. And I picked heads up as, like, an example of, like, how I talk to myself to think more clearly about the ranges, to think more clearly about what I'm trying to do. And the way I describe playing poker is immensely exhausting but at the end of the day, I feel like I've learned 10, 20 times as much as I used to learn while I was playing poker. And I think that's why Doyle Brunson has probably played 
243,000 hands in his life, and he could probably still kick my ass up and down the street, and I've played whatever, 7 million or whatever it was, right? And it's because he's learning more from each hand than I am. You, you know what I'm saying? He's getting the experience. So you have to uh, – but one great way you can do that when you're playing is just make sure when you're playing you're saying, okay, I'm going to do this uh, for this reason. It's good to keep a video record of your analysis and you can kind of if you don't have time to like rewatch like an hour or two of you playing like your best spots i would just write down the minute times where you felt yourself getting really confused and see if you can just crack open those spots especially if you notice this spot comes up every single day because essentially what happens when i go to play a live poker tournament now is, oh, this situation came up good because I studied it and I know this is the right move. Oh, this situation came up good because I studied it and I know that's the right move. Multiply that times, you know, whatever, the entire day, right? That is an incredible feeling. You know, you know I am on my game. I have put in the work. I deserve to be here. And you can get that as a semi-pro. You're just going to have to study. Like the two hours you study, you got to let your family know, hey, you know, when you see, uh, you know, you see dad in here, dad really needs his privacy. So, you know, if, if you got a nosebleed, knock on the door. I'm here for you. But, you know, if you, you're you going to ask me what time we're going to the Jensen's house uh, for dinner, that's something that could possibly wait an hour and 40 minutes. Please, please do that. And those two hours are going to have to become your solace. That's going to become your pride and joy. You can't do this for the money. If you do this for the money, the amount of work you're going to put into it, 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 it you, I, I always joke, work at McDonald's, but I, I was just reading a book about how people who work at McDonald's outperform a lot of different uh, stratas of yeah. society, you know, and it was, and it, I wasn't looking for this book, by the way, it just came up in a business book I picked up, another one, right, and it wasn't quoting the other guy, like, that's what I hate when Malcolm Gladwell comes out with a new book. I know whatever he published there, no matter how, you know, he, he even admits sometimes he misrepresents things on accident, but however he puts it there, I'm going to see it in 26 other books within mm. the next 26 months, you know. By the way, hey, Barry, is haggling a thing in Scotland? Do you guys haggle over the prices of things? In certain places, in we certain do, places yeah. Where, yeah. Because I'm haggling for stuff in the Czech Republic because, you know, uh, I'm no puss. And well, like, we haggle at, like, you know, what I said, like flea market, car boot sales, right, markets, right. and possibly if you're in a store buying a lot of stuff. Like, I remember the first time I saw a friend of mine, an older guy, haggle in, which the company at the time was Dixon's, which is the sort of same as... Similar to like a the equivalent in America, I would think is maybe Walmart. like no, maybe like sort of Radio Shack or oh, slightly okay. better, you know. So he would like a PC laptop, and he'd be haggling like, all right, can you throw in a bag and do this and that? And I was like, wow, I've never seen people haggling. You know, I was like fifteen at the time, like right. yeah, I haggled at car boot sales and flea markets. He was actually haggling in the equivalent of yeah. Going into Walmart and saying, "Look, if I buy all this, can you do something on it?" Right, right. My my father taught me that too. He was like, you know, you go into a Best Buy, like Best Buy is like the biggest electronics store we have in the states. You can handle, yeah. like, you know, the price on there. The the manager always has a say in these things. But yeah, it's yeah, it's weird when you come to the Czech Republic, and like Americans are so bad at this, right? 
like, you know, like my mom can do it, but she still looked like really surprised when I, <laughs> she, she <laughs> you can hear her laughing. She wanted to get these, like these, uh, these slippers and you know, the, the price was like 360 Karuna. And I was thinking like, there's no way it cost him more than 50. These are just, you know what I mean? These are from the countryside. So I'm not, you know, if I wanted to be a jerk, I could go down to 100, but I just started at 200 and I got it to whatever, 280 mm -hmm. or something off. But it's so funny when you see it. I, it's so funny. Americans just don't do it. Like you can see people's faces like, what the hell? Did he just say I'm not going to pay the price? You know, what I mean? yeah. which is really bad because the only place in the States you haggle is for a, a car. Right. And if you don't know how to haggle for a car, it's going to cost you two, three thousand dollars. You know what I mean? Mm. And that used to be. I don't know, man. I'm seeing a lot of my fellow Americans out here, and I'm disappointed in us as a people. Remember when you used to send the man into the car dealership for your sister to get the right deal? We've lost yeah. that, man. These kids <laughs> just pay the price, man. Here's the thing. I even, like, tip the people the difference at the end. I just like the sport of it. You know what I mean? Like, I love the, like, all right, man, I got to leave. I'll, I'll find another one. All right, all right, come back. <sighs> all yeah, right. and then give them full price anyway. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Well, I it, it just occurred to me today because I had to go buy my buddy some headphones because he was still in the tournament. I've never had anyone do this when I was haggling. It was so funny. The chick, I was like, I was getting two pairs of headphones. I was like, hey, you want to cut like $8 of it? Look, you are going to pay the price in cash and you're going to like it. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. Like, okay, you win. Uh, that was worth eight bucks. That was hilarious. Here you go, right? And then, yeah, anyway, sorry. I just had to bring that up. Cultural thing I've been noticing. All right, next question. Okay, and this one is the one that Alex just pasted in during the podcast, so it's the first time I'm reading it as well. It's, uh, hello, if I can ask this topic, <coughs> excuse me, I couldn't mute that one. Um, <laughs> it's okay. We have to fold a lot sometimes, was bugging me lately. To what extent should we push the game without getting cards? The softer the table, the more we should try to exploit without cards, and vice versa. And it's from Thomas. Yeah, uh, he was asking this because I, I was commenting on, like, it's something I've been really learning about poker tournaments is you let the moment come to you. You do not try to create the moment, right? And there's sometimes, like, your moment just doesn't come in the tournament, but I guarantee it's not going to come if you try to create it. You know what I mean? There's a lot of – I think people detonate. But poker tournaments are just who can outlast the other guy. That's it. Uh, uh, a good friend of mine was talking with me recently about there was this player that used to just be crushing the circuit, and he, he made a really astute point, which was he knew this guy was going to go broke based on, he said, like, I'm not coming back to play with 18 big blinds. And I was like, wow, that was, you know, uh, this dude isn't even in poker, and he still knows that, you know what I mean? And, like, mm -hmm. and that's really the truth because you can't – no matter how many uh, – he said this as well, which was no matter – by the way, this was Barry. I don't know why I'm keeping you in, on anonymous. <laughs> but like, I was like, could he know who that player is? Well, no, not really, right? Well, anyway, 
uh, Barry, I revealed your identity, but and it's, it's fine. That's it's cool. Fine. I couldn't figure out if that was something I had to keep covert, but yeah, we're not no. naming anyone, but yeah. No. Anyway, no, and uh, he, it, Barry made a really good point when we were just talking, which was you're not going to win the poker tournament today. No matter how many chips you get, you're probably not going to do it today. And the chip leader often doesn't cash. So apparently there's a great way to overplay this, but I've noticed a lot of tournament players don't seem to find a way to underplay it. There's a lot of very solid players that were always kind of a little behind the curve in the stateside scene who are just crushing it now because they're just much more thoughtful than most guys at the poker table. And I think those moments come to you much more often in poker tournaments now because everybody is a psychopath. Like everybody just, they're not even psychopaths. I think they're just lazy and they want to gamble, which was, mm. I, I did not see one person full do a three bet in probably seven days of poker. Doesn't matter how much the dude three bet two just doesn't happen. The guy's like, gotta see a flop 40% of my stack. Let's go. And mm. that's giving you the moment. You know what I mean? If you have aces and, Somebody here decides to flat 38% of their stack with 4-7 suited. I don't care how often he sucks out. He's losing money on the play. And I see that again and again and again. You know what I mean? It wasn't uh, – it, 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 it was actually weird to be at a table where people were, like, so good that they were – you know, the three bets were – they're so good except for they three bet too small, so all the three bets should be flatted. But, yeah, it, it was – uh, you know, and then they were just, you know, they were just perfect post-flop. Like, I love their play post-flop, you know. And, but at the same time, like, it, there was a kid, and uh, the Swedish kid, like, three bet me to a sizing that I was like, I know for a fact, I've run the numbers on this. It is close to impossible to turn a profit here with this hand versus that three bet by flatting it, right? So I'm more likely going to, I can accept my loss of two and a half big blinds right now, or I can create a 4.4 big blind loss if I call here, right? Or 3.9 or whatever it is. And I folded and it just occurred to me, I haven't seen that in a while. You know what I mean? It's just like, oh, I'm going to pick this guy off, you know? And so I think you can be a lot nittier than most people realize. I, I there's, I mean, a classic situation came up for Barry recently, which was he opened the button and had a guy like barely 2x raised him from the big blind. And this is, I think, like, if I was teaching a master's class on tournament poker, this is the problem I would write on the whiteboard to begin the class. And I would say you all have an answer right now, which is if you play, if you shove here, Barry had about 35 big blinds in the example, and he shoved because he's a donk. But uh, he had 35x. <laughs> Barry, you got to laugh. Otherwise, it's awkward. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm <laughs> you laughing. can cuss me out. Like. I'm laughing inside. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> laughing inside, yeah. But it's, uh, yeah, you Scotsmen do a lot of that when I'm talking. Anyway, <laughs> a lot of vacant stares when I say something a little yeah. off color. And then it's like, oh, no, that was funny. And it's like, really? Okay. But, uh, no, it's like you two – if a guy 2x's you there, on paper – that's always a jam. What Barry did is fine, right? Which is if you run a million uh, free bets of 2x out of the big line through a million tournaments, generally you're going to find the 10s is a jam. 
Then there's a school of thought right now, which is you just call there and minimize your variance in a spot you don't know what to do. Uh, I, do I, I tend to think those people are really overstating their positional advantage, their, uh, their po post-flop advantage. And I think a lot of times they just exacerbate their losses even more by flatting a, a full three bet and then folding on too many flops. And then there's the Phil Hellmuth school of thought, which is, I don't care. I'm Phil Hellmuth. If I can't figure it out, no one can. I fold. You know what I mean? If it keeps happening, I'll adjust, but I don't care. And everybody keeps making fun of Hellmuth. I make fun of Hellmuth. I don't even really know anything about Hellmuth. I don't like him that much based on a lot of his interviews. Like, I don't find him, like, to be, like, a human being I'm very, like, compelled to learn more about. But he is a mathematician of the highest order when it comes to tournament poker. And he's very fascinating because he's one of very few people in that school of thought where you just fold there and he's got more hold and bracelets than all of us. And that, that's, that's all he plays. He just comes out for the WSP every year and wins. I would like to know how to do that. You know what I mean? So I study him and I've grown greatly respectful of him, you know, just his tournament game. And if I was playing the hand, I would call because I'm not really, I'm still struggling with, you know what I mean? What, what is, there is a dollar total, ex, there is a dollar total extracted from your stack based on the variance you've put it through. I don't know how to calculate that. I don't think anyone does, but it does exist. And there has to be some kind of appreciation for it. And I think a lot of us tournament players do not have it. And I know I'm still seeking it. So that's a, that's a very good question, Thomas, to be honest with you. That's uh, that, that, that's my great sketch pad answer. That's the thing I scribble the most notes about. That's the thing I think about probably most of the time when I'm working on poker, like where is that? But the fun thing about tournaments is that kind of like, transcendent math doesn't exist in uh, cash games. Ca cash games, a chip's a chip. You know what I mean? You, you, you snap on some ranges to someone, you work out the numbers, you see how you did, right? Uh, the tournament, tournaments are an art. They are something you must feel in order to capture, in order to do better than. And, uh, mm. okay, great. Uh, I, yeah, I'm, done, I'm off my soapbox. Do we have any more? Um, yeah, we've done two. We'll do one more. Um, where are we? Let me see. Ryan. Let me see if any of these are sort of similar to what we've... Yeah. Uh, we'll leave that one, and we'll go for... This we'll is go great. for this one. This is great podcasting, by the way. Yeah, yeah. This <laughs> one is... Well, I'm building it up. I'm building it up. Uh, this one is from Brian. Let's Anyone ever one. win with Jack? Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, you know, where are we? Hi, guys. It's from Brian. Hi, guys. I've been playing online MTTs for the last two years or so. Moved over from live cash games and live MTTs. I've not managed a five-figure score yet. I've started playing higher buy-ins with smaller fields, presumably stronger players, but lower variance, question mark. Am I right here? I have an income outside of poker so I can add to my poker fund if and when needed. I just got sick of playing fields of 2,000 or more online and have to survive far too much to get near a final table in them. 
So with my situation, is higher buy-ins and smaller fields a better approach? Uh, I, th- I think a lot of times it is. That's a great question, by the way, Brian. Thank you for that. Um, I tend to play moderately, like, there's a lot of money in lower stakes, but I don't bother in a lot of the big tournaments because uh, you're going to final table the big 11, what, you know, like one time out of 200, you know what I mean? And how it goes, it goes. You have 15 acts at the final table, right? <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm sure it's more profitable than a lot. Well, actually, I'm not because I built my entire bankroll playing slightly higher but small fields, and generally those small fields on small sites have, like, a specific way they've learned to play that's easier to crack. Whereas, like, with poker stars, you're just playing against everyone on God's green earth, you know what I mean? So you're just always trying to figure something out, get ahead of this country or that country. And, you know, it takes time. And uh, uh, essentially, uh, you see, normally... My, my laptop throws these messages up from other people because I haven't figured out how to disconnect that, and that just sets off my ADV really bad. But, yeah, no, I, I agree with that. Also, if you want to get better, you have to play with better players. And sometimes I find, like, I can work over better players more. Like, in the WPT, uh, I connected with a few hands, right? But I also just, I knew where a lot of these guys were at and a lot of the time, and I stole a lot of pots, got triple barrels off that worked, got check raises off that worked, donk leads that worked. Everything was working because I kind of knew how those guys were thinking, right? And if you feel like you really know the online field and a slightly higher buy-in and you have money from an outside uh, source, uh, by all means, go in and learn and grind up. Good luck to you. Yeah. Okay, and that is all we've got time for this week. We will save the rest for next one. The, this is us closing up for Christmas. This is the 15th of December. This one went out on. And we will return on the 29th of December after Christmas. And it will be the last one of 2016. Keep your questions coming in for Alex. Questions at oneouter.com. And we will see if we can fit them into that show. Um, Alex, how can people get in touch with you and join your mailing list, etc.? Uh, join the mailing list at PokerHeadRush.com. Just put it in the little sidebar there. I'm about to write out some messages here from Prague uh, now that I'm done with work. And uh, follow, check out my blog on PokerHeadRush.com. I'm about to do a few trip reports uh, in there. So for those of you who like the old school blog, it's kind of coming back. Uh, can't think of anything else uh, follow me on twitter at the assassinato write me at alex at and just you reminded me something there you said you teased us i think it was the last podcast or the one before you there, i can't even remember the topic um again i'm blaming illness but you said your your, your next newsletter was going to be an ex, it was it excited me for some reason it was going to touch on something yeah. You said you were going to do it on some topic. I, oh, I'm just yeah, asking no, personally. I, mean, I can't I remember gonna, what it was. I was going to talk about how I final tabled the WPT because. Ah, that was yeah. it. Yeah. But yeah. it was like, it's actually kind of an inane answer, which was I got here and I designed my condo in Prague on the other side of the world from Costa Rica to be just like my condo in Costa Rica. I ate the exact same food in the morning, I, take, I took the same nutritional supplements. I slept the same number of hours every night. I trained myself 
for jet lag by working some late nights in the weeks preceding. You flew, you flew the construction worker over. I flew the construction worker <laughs> so I can get properly distracted. Funniest thing is it's night right now, so I don't know what the dude's working on, right? But I don't know. Maybe he's building a house with all the free time you Europeans have. It's like I was talk I was talking to somebody here and they were like, Yeah, I don't don't really like working more than twenty eight hours a week. I was like, I work sixty to eighty hours a week and I've done so for the last ten years of my life. You know, like I, I don't know how to explain that. But yeah, it was I was just gonna name the article Make Your Bed, right? Like and that sounds so inane and stupid, but I never thought it would be possible to final table a WPT just getting out of the plane and playing the next day and you think there's going to be jet lag and stuff like that. But I felt very good the entire time because I just kept with a routine, you know what I mean? And I think, uh, I, I think that's how you I, final table live poker tournaments, such as the WPT or EPT or what's left of the EPT. Good, goodbye, EPT. You're gone. Yeah. I had that too. Yeah. yeah that was it. Well, it was really funny. There was an Annie chip that uh, someone didn't color up. Uh, in my stack because we did that kind of near the end of the day yesterday and I was like oh cool kind of you know well they're either going to chip this up to 100 or they're going to you know maybe I can keep it and the dealer was like you can keep it yeah and then they just took it from me and didn't reimburse <laughs> anything so yeah anyway yeah EPT's over uh, yeah, whatever <laughs> like, oh, <yeah>. oh no <laughs> like, yeah. Pokerstar's not up upselling me 400% on the hotel room what am I going to do with myself <laughs> anyway yeah alright man let's wrap it up okay keep your questions coming in for Alex on future show questions at oneouter.com on the email follow us on twitter at oneouter.com thanks for listening Alex will be back in two weeks everyone myself and Alex I wish you a good Christmas Hope Santa brings everything that you've asked for and um, you run good if you're playing any tournaments over the festive period and abandoning your family and kids to go and play poker. You know, a nice one. Um, <laughs> no, so, no, I joke, I joke, obviously. They get Christmas Day. Boxing Day, you can get out of the house. I notice there's lots of local casinos doing live games, at big, big live tournaments on Boxing Day and stuff. Wow, I'm like, wow. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for listening. We will see y'all on the 29th of December. Until then, cheers. Every day at America's Card Room, players just like you are scoring big in record time with Jackpot Poker. Jackpot Poker is a super fast three player online poker set and go. You pick the buy in, and after all three players are seated, we randomly pick the jackpot. Yep, just three players. No more, no less. And for most jackpot poker tournaments, it's winner take all. Imagine turning a $40 buy-in into the ultimate $100,000 game of poker. Anything could happen with jackpot poker. Play it now at America's Card Room.